You're now tuned in to the Desire to Trade podcast, a show where we bring you the best figures of the trading world and teach you how you can become a successful trader. This is your host, Etienne Kret. Hey, what's up, traders? It's Kratje from the Desire to Trade, and welcome to episode 29 of the Desire to Trade podcast. Last week, I've been doing a podcast on my own, sharing about five elements to becoming a profitable trader. Now, this week, I'm back with an interview. I have a lot of great guests coming on in a few weeks, and I have a great one today. His name is Dave Floyd. Dave is an amazing trader that has been in the market for a long time. He has a lot of experience. He knows exactly what he's talking about. And guys, I want to talk about one more thing. Just the past week, I was looking at the stats for the podcast how many downloads we have, how many people are listening, how many people are checking out the website and everything. And I was truly amazed. It's just amazing to think that a podcast like this went from literally zero download to having grown to a significant amount of download. But I want you guys to help me. I want you to spread the word about the podcast. The more people hear it, the more I can help people and the more I can impact people. So that's the goal. If you guys want to help me share the podcast, well, I would love if you leave a review to the podcast. Leave a review, whether it's a five-star review or a one-star review. Let me know what you think. And if you email me with a screenshot of your review, I'll send you a free gift, which I think is going to help you. So leave a review. Share this with as many people as you want because the more you share, the better it's helping auditors grow, the more it's helping people. Because the more people are aware of it, the more people are going to benefit from it and the more people are going to be happy. And that's my goal. The more I have a positive impact on people, the better I am, the more happier I am. And that's the basic goal behind this art to trade. So do whatever you want, leave a review, email me the screenshot, let me know how I can make the podcast better. And now we'll go to the interview. So what's up, Dave? How are you doing? I'm doing really well. Good morning and thanks for having me on. Well, it's really a pleasure. So start by telling us what's going on these days. Well, you know, if... Uh if uh, anybody who's been in this business for let's say five plus years would recognize right now that the markets are challenging and I'm using that word lightly um, and some some people might be saying well what do you mean they're challenging the markets are the equity markets at least continue to move higher and while that's true I think if you look at the underlying price structure of what's happening right now it's a very grinding price action peppered with kind of random volatility spikes um, it almost feels like an engineered market. And I think on some level, I think engineered is actually an accurate term because we have these insane central bank policies happening around the world. I mean, we have negative interest rates in Europe and, you know, logically you can't even get your head around that. So I think what we have is a little bit more of an engineered, centrally planned type market. And from a trading perspective, that adds a, an element of, of challenge for sure uh, if you're an index buyer, you're very happy right now because the way the industry has shifted in recent years is that people are buying index or passive investment products, whether they be on the FX or on the equity side. And as a result, the whole concept of rigorous investment screening to come up with buys and sells has kind of been cast aside. So as more people put more and more money into passive index, uh, passive investment strategies, inevitably that drives the indices higher. So you don't have that natural ebb and flow that I had grown accustomed to over 20 odd years in this business. 
And I don't think that's a function of saying, you know, hey, it's not like the old days. It has nothing to do with that. It's a function of something that's not functioning as kind of a free market on some level. And I know that might sound a little bit like a bold statement, but you know, I've been in this business a long time. I t- I'm, I'm well connected with some very smart people in this industry and people who make their living doing this with either really solid research businesses or um, large money management businesses. And, you know, these guys aren't like, the, you know, a financial planner down, down around the corner at your local neighborhood. These are some, you know, pretty serious players and they're all kind of scratching their heads going, this does not make a lot of sense. It feels like we're kind of in the twilight zone. So I know that's a little bit of a long-winded answer, but I think it's something that's really, really important. If you talk to anybody who's been in this industry five or more years, they'll know exactly what I'm talking about. If there's some newer traders listening here, I might sound, you know, maybe a little like I'm off in left field, but the fact of the matter is that is what's happening in the markets and it does create an element or it creates an additional challenge to an already challenging profession. No, so yeah, it's definitely changing all the time. So things are not constant, of course. No, no, they're not. And you always have to adapt. And this too will pass. I don't know when that will happen. And I think the important thing for all traders is that even if you are a shorter term trader, and I imagine most of the people that are ultimately going to listen to this are probably more short term as opposed to longer term, you know, you always have to have some underlying thesis that you're trading within. It may not, that, that thesis may not impact your trade in the euro that might only last three or four days. But if you have an underlying understanding of the, mark, the macro environment, I think that can greatly enhance your ability to be a better trader. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. So tell us what you're doing these days exactly. I think the most important thing anybody can do, and that's exactly what I'm doing, is being very selective. Um, again, going back and you know talking with colleagues and exchanging ideas with other colleagues who are respected and have been in this business for a long time. It's um, it's a question of being very patient and waiting for good quality setups. Um, again, even in the best of market conditions, trade frequency is never the hallmark of good traders. You never read about Paul Tudor Jones or George Soros or any of the other legendary traders. None of them ever, ever say that trade frequency was the hallmark to their success. It was trade, you know, patience and discipline. In this market environment, what I'm doing is I'm being very selective. I may make two or three trades, maybe four trades a month. Um, On average, I usually do six to eight trades. So I'm at the lower end of the spectrum right now. So what I am looking for, though, at least in terms of the way the market's unfolding, is I am looking for the U.S. dollar to rally. But it's been in a corrective phase for about the last year, whether you look at that from an Elliott Wave perspective or even just simple price action. It's basically moved sideways from March of 2015 to where we are now. I believe we're nearing the end of that correction, um, but timing the end of a correction is notoriously difficult. It's very difficult to do. So what I'm looking to do at this point is not only keep my capital preserved or keep my powder dry, as many people say, but I'm looking to establish long positions in the dollar. I'm, I'm very interested in being long dollar Swiss. I'm also interested in being short, let's say, the Aussie and Kiwi dollar. Um, and I'm also interested um, in possibly getting long the Aussie Kiwi cross. So in the FX space, 
that's where my focus is. It doesn't mean that I'm making trades on those just yet, but I'm optimistic that in the days and weeks to come, some clarity will, will arise and I'll be able to start putting those types of positions on. In the equity markets, I got to be honest, um, the charts of the S&P are, are puzzling, at least from a classical chart pattern uh, perspective. But I do see some opportunities in individual um, markets. I think the gold market remains very attractive. It's the strongest market year to date. So I've been long gold. I continue to be and I will likely continue to add to gold positions um, I'm also actually right now looking to get short treasury bonds. I'm looking for a little bit of a rally um, and I think we'll get that. So I'd like to be short treasury bonds. And um, you know, I've got some other individual names that I think are interesting. Oil could be interesting to get short again here, but I'm not doing anything with it just yet. So you know, oftentimes traders are in observation and um, observation mode. And like the old saying goes, you know, you make 80% of your money 20% of the time. Um, you know, you don't wake up every day and crank out the printing press and make money. Um, you know, there could be a week or so where you don't make any trades. And that's the reality of trading. That is not unusual, at least from a professional standpoint. I think that's powerful. I think that really makes sense. So thanks a lot for sharing that. Now, I want to go back in time to the point where you started to trading like being the market because you have a long story a lot of things that happened probably so mm -hmm. tell us the story behind how you get to that point today well i think the you know i really got my first taste of trading i think when i was uh nearing the end of college i had this idea and i wasn't even it wasn't even fully you know clear at that time that i thought that trading would be an interesting profession and i did get into the investment management industry in the boston or in boston after college um, but I had a colleague recommend, you know, I kind of said, you know, trading, yeah, I don't really know all about it, but it sounds really interesting. Um, and of course this was back before widespread internet where you could have answers at the, you know, flick of, a, of your fingers. But I had a colleague say, Hey, you should really read the market wizard books by Jack Schwager. And I was like, Oh, okay. So I remember, uh, getting a copy of that and I read that probably within a day and I read both both of the copies, you know, New Market Wizards and Market Wizards within a week. And that was what really propelled me. And that's what put me on the quest to get on a proprietary trading desk. So I left Boston after college, or I, I was in Boston for about uh, two years, um, actually three years after college. And then I got hired as a proprietary trader at a bank in San Francisco. That kind of officially started my trading career. I then left that bank about a year later be, due to a reorg. And at the ripe age of probably 24, 23, I took what little life savings I had, which is about 25 grand, and um, became a proprietary trader on the San Francisco Stock Exchange just as the electronic trading was, was taking off. So I was probably one of the first traders in the country to be sitting upstairs off of the trading floor with a, a direct electronic connection to the New York Stock Exchange. So this is way before, you know, the, the proliferation of electronic trading. I, I'm not exaggerating. I was probably one of 20 people in the country to be executing trades electronically on the NYSE floor, you know, back in 1994. And 
I don't want to say the rest is, you know, there's a lot of things we could talk about along the way, but that's how I got introduced into the business. That's how I cut my teeth. I cut my teeth as a day trader. I think it was the best thing I could have done because it helped me understand intimately price action. And I think starting at the most granular level was probably the best thing that could have happened for me as opposed to, let's say, starting at the, let's say, valuation level. I get hired by a hedge fund to uncover undervalued and overvalued stocks. That's valuable information. But from a trader's perspective, that's not terribly useful. So for me to sit and stare at price action all day for, God, from 1994 you know, all the way through 2002, you know, you glean a lot of insights. So that's, that's a little bit of my story in a condensed format. There's all sorts of war stories along the way, and we can touch upon those if need be. So how was the learning curve as a trader, as a day trader? It was incredibly hard, incredibly hard. Um, what you see on the screen and then what you ultimately allow yourself to do are two totally different things. And it's that whole mental concept that most traders struggle with. You see something, you don't react on it because there's money on the line. If you're wrong, you're going to get your hand slapped and you're going to lose money. And again, that was my profession at the time. That was my full-time occupation. So I didn't make money for the first year. I was very hesitant in placing trades, meaning I was just always like a second too late or I didn't press the button at all and the trade worked out and you're like, geez, why didn't I do that? My turning point was when um, we had a new trader join our office and I just watched him start pressing the button with conviction and the trades by and large were working out. And I was watching how he did it. I was watching his methodology and I was thinking, holy crap, this guy's doing the same exact thing that I'm thinking about in my head, meaning he's being decisive. I'm going to be a buyer. I'm going to be a seller, whatever it is. But he was doing it with decisiveness. That to me, I had to see somebody else doing it. That was the turning point. Prior to that, it was theoretical. I think it's going to go higher. I should buy it here. Once I saw somebody actually do it with money and not get their head taken off, that was literally the turning point for me and I never looked back. Of course, I had losing trades along the way. I had losing streaks. But that was the turning point. That was when I started to make money as a trader and then just kind of pyramided from there. And how did you get to balance between overtrading and uh, not taking enough, let's say? Uh, that's a tough question for me to answer because I've been blessed with a gene <laughs> – I guess is the best way to describe it, that makes me incredibly patient. I'm not, a, I'm not an impulsive person at all. Um, I think my experience has been that most people that enter the trading profession, and I think most people in general, tend to be impulsive by nature. So I, I have a built-in governor, for lack of a better term. I've never had an issue of overtrading. Never. I've never had anybody say to me, Dave, man, you're just overtrading today. They're like, Dave, you only took five trades today? You know, I get the complete opposite. So I'm not really in a position to answer that. I've been really fortunate to not ever be compelled to overtrade. If anything, I probably should trade a little bit more. <laughs> But that's not going to happen because I'm, I'm hardwired the way that I am. And how did that change from that time where you were day trading to today where you're more swing trading, I guess? Well, the, the beautiful thing, again, going back to starting off at the most granular level as a day trader, 
what it's allowed me to do slowly over time is push my time frame further and further out, be comfortable with holding trades for several hours, several days, maybe even a couple of weeks, um, and not get too hung up on what the intraday noise is. Because at the end of the day, it is noise. Yes, you can trade it. I'm not saying you can't trade that intraday noise. But if you're bullish, let's say the euro, and you think it's going to go from 110 to 112, it's probably not going to do it in one day. You've got to give it some room. And just because it's going down in one minute or you know, in the next minute or so, it doesn't mean that your thesis is wrong. But it's really hard for traders to get their head around that. So um, for me, it's resulted in less trades and longer holding periods. And I think that will continue to evolve in the years ahead, you know, probably in the next 10 years, maybe I'll be making, still making four or five trades a month perhaps, but maybe I'll be holding those trades for longer periods because I'm adapting and getting more comfortable with dealing with the, the ups and downs while my thesis plays out. Mm -hmm. Are the strategies you use different on higher time frame, or is it pretty much the same as day trading? Oh, day trading and what I do now are completely different. Day trading back then was pure price action, pure what I would call, well, not what I would call, but what they call tape reading. It was, you know, I'm trading off of a one-minute chart and a tick chart of the S&P 500. There was no time to label your charts with Elliott Waves or whatever, you know, analysis that you wanted. It was pure price action. We had a live audio feed from the S&P pit in Chicago and most of our trades were based on the level of volume, based on what was being said in the pit and remembering who was buying, who was selling and putting all those disparate pieces of information together and reacting in the moment. So compared to what I do now, it's radically different. I, now I'm more structured. I'm looking, at a, I'm looking at a chart, let's say a weekly chart, and I'm going down to the daily, to the four hour and then to the hour chart. And I'm coming up with a technical plan. Then I'm weighing that against the macro backdrop. So it's a much more, um, much more involved selection process. But again, watching how price action unfolds is still pretty key. And I'm really glad that I had that exposure for about 10 years of, you know, making 50 to 60 trades a day as a day trader. That was invaluable. I wouldn't, I wouldn't change that for anything. So where would you recommend people to start? Would you say they have to start as a day trader or as swing trader? My understanding, and I could be completely wrong, obviously the markets all you know, the markets change. Part of the reason I don't day trade anymore is one, didn't want to do that. I didn't want to be a keyboard jockey the rest of my life. I wanted something that could scale. I also believe that the way that I used to day trade is no longer valid. The dynamics of the markets have changed. So you have more algorithmic trading, which can create a completely different dynamic in the marketplace and as a result make it harder, although I'm sure there is a way to do the day trading. I just don't know if it's possible anymore. I could be completely off on that. I just don't have the exposure or the knowledge anymore on that side of the business. But I would say that shorter time frames, whether you're looking, let's say, of you know, a 15-minute chart or an hourly chart, I think that's a good way to start getting some exposure to how price action um, unfolds on an hour-to-hour -hour or daily basis. That will be invaluable. But again, it's like anything. It's going to take a long time. You know, the, I got a, one of my best friends in town here is a, a brain and spine neurosurgeon. You know, they don't get any more top of the heap in the medical profession than that. Mm -hmm. And, you know, this guy 
was in school for years and then he has to go and get his residency and that's before he can even practice on a patient. You got to look at trading as the same thing. You're not going to go to a weekend seminar and walk out and be a trader. You got to pay your dues. And I think I heard many people over the years say, you know, once you put in 10,000 hours, yeah, you're probably equipped to, to, do, to do what you need to do, whether it be salesman, accountant, engineer, trader, whatever it is. But we have this really foolish notion out there that, well, I've been a successful attorney. I, I'm going to start trading. Well, you, you probably have the, the, the intellectual capacity to do it, but you're going to have to put in the same amount of time and effort it took for you to become a crack attorney that it, in it, that it will to also become a crack trader. And there's a disconnect in our society, and I don't know why that is. It's probably because of all the marketing and the hype that if you just follow this simple technique, you know, you'll be a successful trader. It's such a bunch of BS, but people want to believe it and people want to want to try to go that route. I would just strongly advise that it's like anything else in life. It's a journey. It takes time, and there's no perfect solution around it. Yeah, I think the value of entries is like really too low so people can just join in and trade anytime they want. Yeah. Yeah, the market's not there. You know, the analogy I've always used is, and I don't mean the American work ethic, it's always referred to it as that. But if you just look at the general work ethic of the world, if you've been raised well, your parents are always say, hey, put in a hard day's work and you'll get paid. That mindset can find yourself, or you, you take that mindset to the markets. And yeah, you can work hard all day, do great analysis, but at the end of the day, you may not have two nickels to show for it, or you might even have a loss. So there's this idea that if the markets are open, they're available to harvest money out of. That's simply not true. Again, it goes back to that 80, you make 80% of your money 20% of the time. The rest of the time, you're sitting there gauging what you want to do, what the market's doing, and how you're going to make money from it. So your income stream is going to be very lumpy. And until you can accept that, you're going to be, you know, you're going to be facing an uphill battle. Yeah, really true. So what are some of your biggest mistakes as a trader? I would say when you're running a service like mine and you're managing money for clients, it's really easy to want to have all your, all your boxes checked before you place a trade because you're under the microscope. And the way I've run my business for years is that whatever our performance is on a month-to-month -month basis in terms of individual trades or performance in the money management, it's on the website. Everybody knows it. Um, so therefore, you're always under the microscope and you're, you're conscious of that. So the big mistake I make as a result of that sometimes is not trusting my gut. Because at the end of the day, trading is as, as much of an art as it is a science. And blending the two is really where you get that sweet spot. So my mistake, I'd say, and, it, and I make it, you know, I don't say all the time, but I make it frequently enough where it bothers me is that you look at the chart and you're just like, I know I need to be long here or I know I need to be short here. Yet you're looking at it going, I don't see from a logical standpoint how that's all lining up, but it doesn't matter because the, your, intu your intuitive side after, you know, for me, I don't know how many hours I've spent in front of charts, but it's thousands of hours, probably over a hundred thousand hours. I'm guessing I, I could be completely wrong, but it's a lot, put it that way. Mm -hmm. After that many hours and years in front of the screen, 
my my brain can internalize a lot of information and come up with you know come up with uh, ideas on what to do. So usually when I have that gut feel that I should get long dollar Swiss right here, but maybe technically it didn't look, it it didn't match all my criteria. Those are often the trades that I miss out on. They work out brilliantly. So it's the path of least resistance. So to answer your question, those are the mistakes that I make and I will probably continue to make. It's really hard to just kind of trust your gut and go with it, but you really do have to. And how you get there, that's, that's going to be a struggle that probably everybody deals with. But it's funny because I see people at the exact opposite, like people who trade like too much or went through too early and they don't have enough evidence. So I guess there's like two, two ways of seeing it with, yeah. The fact that you have more experience probably shows that you should follow your gut. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, these, these, these glimpses or these uh, moments of intuition, they don't happen all the time. You know, they happen periodically. And again, if you've been at this game long enough, you'll be able to distinguish, you'll know the difference between that intuition, you know, versus, you know, some dull ache in your back that you're taking as some sort of a cue to make a trade. And, And I mean, no offense to anybody in the scientific or the engineering community, but they tend to be the worst traders because everything for them is so black and white that unless it is black and white, they don't make a trade. Again, trading is as much of an art as it is a science. And if you're going to be too scientific about it, I, you know, you're really facing an even more difficult challenge to become a successful trader. The people in my experience, who are really, really good traders are not only voracious readers because they read a ton of information on the markets and even about outside interests, um, but they tend to be a, some, somewhat creative. Maybe they have an artistic side or a creative outlet somewhere. Again, I know that might sound a little weird, but the fact of the matter is the market is not some scientific calculated beast. It's a whole mishmash of human emotion. And um, I think if you're open and creative with, you know, a very logical process, that, that's the makeup of a successful trader. So what kind of creative work do you do then? Music, mm-hmm. art, uh, art in terms of film, um, theater, that type of stuff. For me, that's like a, a major creative outlet. Um, I'm a voracious reader. I read, I'm always reading books. I probably read three or four books a month, whether they be trading related or let's say industry related or completely unrelated to the industry. Um, that to me, I think helps. It keeps me open. It allows me to look at things a little differently. I don't look at everything in such a calculated manner. Um, I think it's going to be different for everybody, but I really do think if you try to approach it with too rigid and too mechanical of a process, Um, you might miss out on some of the, the really good nuggets of information that will come to you by being a little bit more open. And again, I know this may sound a little, you know, often left field, but trust me, if you talk to people that have been in this industry for a while and they're successful at it, they are fitting that exact profile that I'm talking about. They're not automatons and robots. They're very well-rounded. They're very well-read. And they're very, they have a creative outlet or a creative side of them that I think really helps them immensely. Yeah, I can totally see that. Because, yeah, I've talked with other traders and they all have this intuition a little bit. Yeah, some of them use it more, some of them less, but they all have something in common for sure. Yep. What are some uh, reading for the aspiring trader you would recommend? Well, oddly enough, you know, most of the books that I recommend uh, when people ask me that are not 
you know, how-to trading manuals. There is one that I, I do highly recommend and the reason I do is because it's written from the perspective of here's what I do at step one and here's what I do at step 27, whatever. I can't remember how many steps are involved. But it was written from the perspective of this is how I identify a trade setup. This is how I execute it. This is how I manage it, stop loss, the whole nine yards. And that's a book by Robert Miner called Dynamic Trading. Contrast that with the litany of books out there that are simply showing here's a pattern that worked and here's this pattern three years ago. Look how beautifully it worked. I'm like, really? It's mind-numbing. The fact of the matter is pattern recognition or let's say trade setup is the least important part of trading. Yes, you have to identify a trading pattern and say, hey, you know, I think I'd like to be long here. I'd like to be short. But to ultimately pull the trigger on that trade requires all that other information that you accumulate over time. What's happening in the macro in, in the macro space? How is the price action trading? Does it feel as though it's bullish in here or does it feel as though this is a pattern that's going to fail? So anybody out there trumpeting that they've got this surefire pattern, walk away. These are people that have no concept of trading. They're marketers. Um, you can't boil trading down to something as one-dimensional as identifying a pattern. There's far too much other information that needs to be factored in. So for me, Dynamic Trading is a great foundational book because it's written by a trader and written from a trader's perspective, obviously. But the other books that I recommend really, I think, are, at least for me, far more valuable, are books about traders and their experiences. So I love to read interviews with traders. I love to read the research written by, let's say, <clears throat> you know, if you can find research by, um, you know, Jim Rogers, or if you can find research written by, you know, Paul Tudor Jones, or interviews with those people or books that they've read, written about their biography. I'm far more interested in that. I want to know what those people do on a day-to-day -day basis or what they did when the, when the market was really turned against them, yet they persevered because they had this conviction on this trade. So I have a list of books that I um, send my clients all the time when they ask, and it's usually a list of stories about traders and their experiences, not a, not a how-to manual. That to me, I think is more important. Yeah, I love those stories too. I think it's it's great because it gives you some some motivation as well when you have a hard time or when you have like any any problem too. So yeah, absolutely, it totally gives them. Um, it's a total motivator. Absolutely. Like I'm reading, a, I'm reading a really good book right now called the. Um, you know, I got it right here, uh, the most dangerous trade, and it's interviews with with some of the top short sellers out there, and it's a great read. And not only is it entertaining. But you walk away understanding a little bit about what makes these guys and gals a little bit different, why they're successful, what's their edge. That to me, I, I get a lot of value out of that. Hmm, cool. So tell us what is your approach to trading or like to, uh, to stocks and Forex? Does it differ from one to the other or is it pretty much the same? No, it's pretty much the same. Again, I'm a technical trader, at least in terms of the, the initial screening. Mm -hmm. um, I use Elliott Wave. Fibonacci. I use a little bit of the Tom DeMarc studies uh, to gauge, um, you know, trend strength or trend exhaustion. Um, so I, I basically start with that particular backdrop, 
And again, it's, it's kind of, I don't want to say it's hard to explain, but from that point on, once you identify what seems like a reasonable buy setup or a reasonable sell setup, it really goes into you watching to see how the market reacts to that. Does the market respect what your thesis is? If I'm looking for, like for instance right now, I'm looking at dollar Swiss. I'd like to be a buyer on this pullback off the recent high. And the recent one I mean is in the last several days. There's two ways you approach it. You're a blind buyer into that support level, meaning you don't give it any fire. You're like, okay, it retraces 50%. I'm a buyer. Well, that might work. Might work quite well. My thought is, let's see if the market respects that level. If the market reacts positively off that level, maybe I'll buy that next, next little pullback after that initial thrust off of the support level. So for me, it's about making sure the market is reacting in the way that I think it should. Other traders will say, you know what, I'm going to buy that retracement every single time. Maybe I'm wrong 40% of the, or, you know, maybe I'm wrong 60% of the time, but when I'm right, I'm right really big. That's great. If that works for you, fantastic. That doesn't work for me. It's more of a personality thing where I want to see some evidence that the market agrees and then I'll buy, I'll buy the subsequent pullback with the expectation that the trend is in fact changed. Of course, I'll be wrong from time to time, but again, that works for me. So it's a technical approach and then it's more of a price action and also factoring in the macro backdrop to some degree. Am I on the right side of the overall theme of the market, the overall trend of the market? That's very important. That's taking it beyond just trading a chart pattern. You're trading now on a multidimensional basis. You're bringing in a lot of different factors that you know, should give you a higher probability of being right. It doesn't ensure success, but I think it gives you a better win-loss ratio in the long run. So you have to develop your own approach, right? Oh, absolutely. And you have to develop it because everybody has different risk temperament, different um, style. But I think the way I approach the market, I think most people could use that as their template. And then over time, adjust it to their individual personality. I don't think my approach is unique, far from it. There's nothing proprietary about it. It's Elliott Wave, it's Fibonacci, it's Tom DeMarc, it's tape reading, stuff that anybody can do. It's how you integrate them into your own personality that is going to make it work for you. Mm -hmm. That's true. What is your lifestyle like today? My lifestyle is fantastic. I love what I do. I had a colleague of mine many years ago say I haven't worked a day in, well, he'd say if he said it now, which he probably still would, I haven't worked a day in 24 years. Hmm. Um, I absolutely love what I do. Um, I put in a lot of hours to it, but it doesn't feel like work. But the beautiful thing about the way my job is now is that I have a lot of flexibility and I have a very, uh, what I would call a truncated um, day. I work for a couple, three hours, walk away from the screens, do some business development work, work with my marketing guy, work with one of my colleagues over in Europe in terms of asset gathering, and then come back and look at the markets, markets a few hours later. Maybe squeeze in a mountain bike ride or go skate skiing or um, you know, go get a workout in. I'm, I'm a big believer of doing short, intense spurts of work as opposed to sitting in front of 
my computer or doing one particular task for eight hours straight. I think that's counterproductive. So for me, I've got the ultimate flexibility and it keeps me fresh and prevents me from getting burned out and, and looking at the screens too long. And what does your trading time look like? Is it mostly reading or research or? Most of it's, most of it's technical analysis, at least in the early part of the day. I get up at four in the morning here on the West Coast and I'll do, um, you know, I'll do my chart work. I'll post my thoughts and charts to my clients usually by between six and seven. And then for the most part, I mean, your work is done, at least in terms of the analysis. Nothing's going to dramatically change over the next 12 to 24 hours. Mm -hmm. But I will come back and make adjustments and let clients know that, hey, you know, what I talked about earlier is starting to play out. Let's adjust our stop loss or let's now start to look at getting long. The rest of the day oftentimes is spent reading research reports, talking with other traders in my circle, and of course, business development. I run a business. I've got you know, lots of clients. So we have to always think of ways that we're going to continually service them and, and bring in new clients. So my day is definitely barbelled between doing analysis as well as business development. But I spend less and less time in front of my screens because there's really no need to spend more time in front of my screens. I did my analysis. I don't need to sit there and watch it unfold. That's very counterproductive. Mm -hmm. Tell us about that, the aspect of talking with other traders, because it's, it's something I talk a lot about and I mention it often. So why do you do that exactly? I do it to bounce ideas off of other individuals or quite frankly, when markets are challenging, that's the best time to reach out and talk to other traders because if they're all kind of saying the same thing, like, geez, I can't get, can't get my head around this market, just, you know, then you're like, okay, it's not just me. Um, when you call up some of your colleagues and they're doing well, you're like, you know what? I'm just in a slump right now and I got to just stand aside. I mean, you have to stand aside in both of those. If the markets are, aren't trading well, you don't want to be trading. But it's even more important if you're just not seeing the market. But the other reason to talk to other traders is that, you know, it's another set of eyeballs. So I like to talk to people who I know have a, let's say, have a similar view than me. And I'm just curious how they see things. And it, it's just, again, there's no scientific formula to it. It's just you usually walk away from those conversations a little richer in knowledge may not mean that you make a trade immediately, but you're just like, huh, hadn't considered it that way. That's interesting. But there's a, but there's a fine line between like information overload and digesting just the right amount of information. I know what I'm after on a day-to-day -day basis. I don't scour Twitter and the chat rooms for new information. And I'm not looking for information that confirms what I already think. That That's counterproductive too. I just want to read in hear viewpoints of people that are well-read, successful traders, and I want to hear their thoughts on the market. It doesn't mean I'm on the phone every day with traders, far from it. Um, but I want to know what they're thinking, you know, on a week-to-week -week basis, either talking with them or reading what they're writing um, as a way to just get a sense of where they are and how they're seeing things unfold. Yeah, that, that's really important. I think the biggest part for me is really motivation, but I think there's definitely the aspect of uh, Analysis as well, that helps a lot. Yeah. Cool. So what I want to do is I want to wrap this up right here. I just want to ask you, what is your uh, your main goal in the future? My main goal really is to uh, obviously to continue build, to build out the research business because I think that is um, not only something that 
will continue to grow because it continues to grow to this day. But I think in the years to come, there's always going to be a need for good research and good analysis from, from people that, you know, whether they're a professional trader that subscribes to my service or an aspiring, uh, an aspiring trader, there's always going to be a need for good quality research without the hype and with a track record that's transparent. But I would say in terms of my business, I'm really interested in focusing on gathering uh, or raising the assets under management. I think the fact that I'm doing my re research in-house, it makes absolute sense to also offer that same research in the form of a managed product. So, you know, for me, I would love to be able to go from around up to 100 to 200 million under management, probably in the next three to four years would be fantastic. And um, the other thing too is, you know, I'll continue to develop as a trader. You're, you grow every year. Um, I'm sure I'll be continuing to do this for the next however many years. Um, but from a business standpoint, that's my goal is to continue to, to scale Aspen Trading Group and provide good quality research. Yes, yeah, so tell us a little bit more about what you do and how can people find you? Um, my company is called Aspen Trading Group. So if you go to the aspentrading.com, you'll, you'll find my website. Uh, you'll find um, a lot of blog posts, which I would highly recommend people read if you want to get a flavor for who I am, how I kind of approach trading and see if that philosophy jives with yours. I think that's really the best place to start. Uh, you can also follow me on Twitter. I like to, I, th I find Twitter an invaluable tool if you put the right type of people in your feed, as opposed to having information overload. I learn a tremendous amount from some of the people I follow on Twitter and I would highly recommend that you do that. Um, add me to your feed if you'd like. I often post charts comments and whatnot. So I think that's really the best thing. Again, it's not a thing where you, you jump all in, get a sense of if what my approach is works for you. And if it is, fantastic. You know, the research will simply be an extension of what you're already seeing in the blog and on Twitter. So that's how people can get in touch with me. And what is keeping you motivated in the future? You know, for me, it's just a big, it's like a big chess game. It's always trying to figure out what's going to happen next and how you can capitalize on it. That's what gets me up every morning. It's every day is a new day, but a new day within a chapter. And what I mean by that, each day is like a page in a chapter. You know, you get a little bit more information. Okay, that confirms my thesis. Uh, that kind of took away from my thesis. So when you wake up every day, yes, it's a new day, but it's usually building upon what you looked at the following day. And I think that's really important because that builds your narrative and really gives you a tremendous amount of conviction on your next trade idea. So that's what gets me motivated each day. So you come down, you, you turn on your screens, and you're like, ah, okay. Market's starting to unfold the way I thought it was. Excellent. And it's just that, that whole process of forecasting, pivoting, forecasting, pivoting, and making money along the way that keeps you motivated. And it's not even really the money. It's the whole idea of figuring out what the market's going to do and then hopefully being right about it. I love that. So, Dave, I'm just going to have one last question for you before I want to remind everyone that the show notes are going to be on desartertrade.com. So if you're listening to this and you want to see the book we talked about, it's going to be on desartertrade.com. All the links are going to be there. And, Dave, the last question for you is this. If you could give only one sentence of advice for new traders on how they could thrive as traders, what would that one sentence of advice be?
I would say find your own way as a trader. I love that. Find your own way as a trader. Awesome. Tell us a little bit more. Yeah, I'm glad you asked me to expand because it, it, it might leave some people hanging. <laughs> ultimately, ultimately, you have to trade in a manner that's consistent with who you are as a person. However, you're first going to have to identify, well, geez, how am I going to trade? Am I going to be a fundamental trader, a technical trader, whatever that is? Find a methodology that seems reasonable and start chipping away at it. Don't expect success overnight. Give it a year, two years, and then you'll start to see if you've done it right, some tangible results. Um, but you know, don't get don't get the impression that after three months you're going to be um, consistent as a trader. Really look at it as a journey, just like you would any other profession. It's going to take some time, but ultimately, you got to find your own way as a trader. But you are going to need help along the way. You're going to need to reach out to colleagues. You're going to need to read books by successful traders and take little nuggets of information and plug it in and create your own style. This is, this is motivating. So, <laughs> all right. Sounds good. So Dave Floyd, thanks so much for being on the podcast. I really admire you. I admire your stuff, your work, and all your experience. And it's been a pleasure to have you on the podcast. And for all the listeners, I'll see you in the next episode. Great. Thank you so much. Have a great morning. Ciao. All right, traders. So Dave mentioned a couple of things in this podcast that you really have to think about that you have to apply. First of all, I think you have to develop your own way of trading. It's not going to be about copying other people. It's really going to be about finding something yourself and applying it to yourself. I think it's really important because so many people focus on doing stuff as other people do them. Like they want to focus to have a good system. They want to just do that. But it's not going to work in the end. You really have to find your own way. And that resonated a lot with me. I used to be that way. I just wanted to have the perfect system, but it doesn't work. So think about how you can learn more, how you can develop more. And in the future podcast, we'll have more information about that subject. I'll have another great guest in about two weeks, and he's going to talk a lot about that. So check this out. Again, if you're not in the Facebook group, check this out. This is forward slash group. It's totally free, and you can join a nice group of traders, Forex traders only. For the coming podcast, I decided to do things a little bit differently. I'll leave you with some music from my friend Daniel Hosford. And I want to give him a big shout out. If you guys want to have custom music tailor-made for your brand or for your business, check him out. The Danny Boy, B-O-I, experience.com. The Danny Boy, experience.com. And that guy is really amazing. So I'll leave you with some music. Enjoy. Have a nice week. I'll see you in the next episode. Ciao.